0: going to be in Leviticus chapter 17 today. Back in Leviticus 17, this is talking about uh, the sanctity of blood. And I know you're like, wow, this sounds really dark. But it's not. And it's very important. And that's why the title is Living with Holy Distinction, the Blood that Makes Atonement. Now, the, the overall capturing title of this whole series of going through Leviticus is just getting another view of our holy God as he has seen in the book of Leviticus. Um, kind of, for those of you who don't know, this is, our, this is our study we're going through in small group. It's called Behold Your God, the Weight of Majesty. A couple years ago, we did the first one of these, which was called Behold Your God, uh, rediscovering basically the God of the Bible. Okay, and, and so the fundamental uh, aspects of these studies is going back into what many would call old line or old path doctrines. Stuff that's gotten lost in the Skittles generation of Christianity. Okay, donuts and Skittles and candy and all of that. Uh, I was reaching, watch, recently I told the Sunday school class, I was watching a spoof on, uh, this. Guy, this pastor makes videos, and he makes a caricature of the different denominations doing certain things. You probably... Whether Like if they're shooting guns, what one would the Presbyterian shoot? What would the Lutheran shoot? By the way, the Lutheran would always shoot a Walther PPK because it's made in Germany. And all things in Germany are good. But this one was how the denominations order chicken wings, okay? And so, it's silly as it can be, but it got to the one that would probably more typify our day. And when they begin to take their order, they say they're like their wings, boneless, because in the modern age of American or Western Christianity, what really attracts the masses is non-difficulty, easiness. Boneless chicken wings, therefore, are easy to eat. Problem is, if you ever had boneless, and I think, Chris, where'd you go? Where did Chris go? He likes boneless chicken wings. That's because it's mostly batter. And... Uh, you know it, And of course, you can just eat them whole, but I've had my fair share of those, and I like, I like traditional wings, and I'm a Reformed Baptist, so that works.? Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I don't like them swimming in sauce, though. <laughs> I like them dry. But the point is is that we struggle with these kinds of things, especially looking at Old Testament. And marrying it with the New Testament. We, we struggle because for many of us. It's been so long since. Or maybe we weren't even uh, introduced or discipled in the Christian faith. With, with what we would call substantive plates of nourishment. We, we we had soft foods we were given. And we have a soft food kind of approach to scripture in many ways. And a lot of these things have gotten Forgotten or maybe not even mentioned simply because it's difficult or it's overlooked or it's like today. When was the last time you went and heard a sermon over the sanctity of blood? Okay, now Easter might get into that some, but as a whole, where did that even come from? Imagine a congregation showing up on Resurrection Sunday, many of which only go on Easter and Christmas. Okay, not acquainted with the great doctrines of the Bible, talking about the resurrection, talking the reason we have a resurrection is because we had a crucifixion. Why does that matter? What difference does it make that Jesus shed His blood on the songs we sing? Well, it all goes back to here. And if you don't know that, how can you respect it? Much less understand it. And so that's why we, we talk about that. But for the reason that we might live lives... Of holy distinction. Okay. So in this week's study in the book. Behold Your God. Uh, this is on day. What day is this? I was, Yeah. It's page 100. Anyway day three. He asked a question. I'm just setting the stage here. Um, he asked a question he's writing. He says if you were to stop. And look at your Christianity. And the Christianity of your Church. Could you see the power of God reflected in your religion? He goes on to say, How long will we settle for a type of religion that fails to reflect the God of the Bible? What if our religion, personal or corporate, does not reflect the God of the Bible because it is not a religion about Him? What if it reflects the best we can do? Because it is a religion by us and for us. See the difference? And so that's why I value this this study so much and the other ones like it. In Leviticus chapter 17 then with those things in mind. We don't and aren't capable of living perfect lives. But even in our failings I believe we should live distinct ones. Our sins should bother us. Not to the point of despair. Of giving up. Of casting off. But of driving forward. Because we want to glorify Christ every moment of the day. And where does that come from? It comes from the miracle of the blood applied to a soul sick and sore. A soul like mine and yours. So in honor of God and His Word, Leviticus chapter 17, let's stand for the reading of the Word. We're going to read through these passages. There's not very many. And uh, then we're going to get into it. My Bible has subheadings. Yours might have it. This is called the sanctity of blood. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 17, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, to his sons, and to all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded saying, whatever man of the house or of Israel who kills an ox or lamb or goat in the camp or who kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer an offering to the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, the guilt of bloodshed shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people put to death in other words to the end in verse 5 he shall be put to death to the end that the children of israel may bring their sacrifices which they offer in the open field that they may bring them to the lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting to the priest and offer them as peace offerings to the lord and the priest shall sprinkle the blood on the altar of the lord At the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And burn the fat for a sweet aroma to the Lord. They shall no more. Now verse 7 is important. They shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons. After whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, whatever man of the house of Israel or the strangers who dwell among you who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from among his people. There it is again. So bring the, you've got to bring the blood to the to the tabernacle. And if you don't, you're going to be killed. He says in verse 10, and whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats, any, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off among his people. So there's another third time we're mentioned that they die. And then he says in, in the reasons, verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. There's your answer, verse 11. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood. So there's that reiterated again. Nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. Whatever man of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you, who hunts and catches any animal or bird that, that may be eaten, he shall pour out its blood and cover it with dust. For it is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh. For the life of the flesh Is its blood, whoever eats it shall be cut off fourth time, you shall die. And every person who eats what died naturally or what was torn of by beast, whether he is a native of your own country or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his sin. Let's pray. Lord, every time we approach your word here as it's contained in Leviticus, we are reminded of how far removed we are from the severity of how you view sin under the old system. And and we are more than thankful for Jesus who fulfills all of these things to the letter for us. God. For it is his blood that cleanses us. It is his blood who through the Ordinance of communion which we drank symbolically. Uniting our souls to him. Which in case he's cleansed us. Not just externally but internally. And Lord it is his blood that saves us and keeps us. And it will never lose its power. Lord we are grateful that we no longer have to rely on bulls and goats. But God I'm afraid that we live at such a time. We don't even really think about these things that much. Oh God. If you would redeem. If you would. Revive your church again. To the weighty matters. Not of law. But of grace. That you would let us understand the origins of the things that we sing and preach. And God that we would live lives holy in distinctiveness. Different from the rest in the land, just as you admonished Israel to do, to be distinct in their dwellings. In Jesus' name, Amen. Titus one chapter verse fifteen and sixteen has some sobering words. If you can, and and you're going to have to pay attention on this. Okay, so I I I can't stress that enough. Uh, I would hate to say that any sermons preached here at Northridge is ones you can just kind of check out and come back in and be just fine. This is we are here to study. We are here to hear the word of God preach. We are here to hear have it minister to our souls. So we've got to pay attention, okay? To the pure, all things are pure. This out of Titus, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. So you expect lost people to think like lost people. You expect them to act like lost people. You expect them to reason like lost people because. They're not enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God because there's no redemption for them in their lives. Okay? They profess to know God. They may be very religious. In many aspects, they are. Even if they don't go to a typical mainline church or what's known more today as a non-denom church, there's a religion that they all espouse. Whether it be, as I said before, there are three main uh, Canaanite religions today, if you will, in our culture. There's the religion of homosexuality and transgenderism known as the LGBTQ plus one and two and three and four. Then there is the climate religion where we worship the, the, the creature rather than the creator and their, their number one fear is that it's going to end in 20 years, okay? So they're going to do everything they can to kill off people so the earth can be saved. And then number three... Okay, there is the uh religion that I think is sort of the mother of these other two, which would just be that of secular humanism, where we they worship themselves, uh, whatever their passions are, whatever their philosophies are it 's amazing to me because all truth is relative unless it 's theirs and then it's absolute, okay so they profess to know God and it sometimes They could be referring to the big G, though they works they deny him, but most times it's little g and one they've created, but in works they deny him being abominable, notice what it says, disobedient and disqualified for every good work. But the leading thrust of this passage is, to the pure all things are pure, in contrast to, so God's people should be different in the fact of the way they think. See, they are no longer abominable. They've been brought near by the blood of Christ to know God personally. Okay, they, are, they no longer walk in disobedience, but have been brought to obedience in contrast to those who have a defiled nature. And, and instead of being disqualified by sin and, and corruption, they have now been made qualifiers. Qual, they've been qualified. By the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and His merit on the cross. All of which, all of which is established upon the blood that was shed. Which, which has its roots here in Leviticus 17, right? Okay, I'm going to read some things out of a commentator just a little bit because it helps and he says it better than I could. He said this chapter of 17 that we just read reminded the Israelites to respect their covenant king by respecting that which belongs to him, namely, life itself. Do you see what happens in a culture when the wheels fall off respecting life itself? Oh, oh! well, you say, no, not really. Okay, so you're, you're a 30-year-old guy and you're in your, your prime, okay? That'll pass, but you're in your prime, Okay. And what are they going to do to me? But I want you to know, up here in the front row, and we have some in the back, we have these little bitty children. Well, They love to feed on their blood. They have no respect for that life. But it's in this context that meant using an animal's blood, which was equated with its life only as the Lord had commanded. Now, this blood was to be handled only as the Lord commanded we don't get to decide that. God decides that. But this also served as a general reminder to respect all life for all life belongs to the Lord, its creator and king. This led to the prohibition against eating meat red with blood. Now I want you to think, and I know we can get into a discussion about rare steaks here. We'll talk about that actually in a minute. But the same prohibition would not necessarily apply in cultures that do not equate blood with life as the Israelites did. Because you have to understand, when they went into the Canaanite cultures, out of Egypt, a a godless culture, they were eating all kinds of things, sacrificed to demons, dripping with blood. And God's calling them to distinction. But He's also making them aware of the sanctity of... That God places on the blood. And more than that. What the blood represents. Is the life. Have you noticed. That even in our decaying culture. Western culture. Life is becoming really cheap. Okay. And one day. Should it continue in this trajectory. Somebody of them. Will decide who's worthy to keep it. And it won't matter anymore. If you're in the womb. Or in the nursing home. Or somewhere in between. They will decide. Because only God has the right to require the blood. And he's, given, and he's told us in the Word how that is to be done. But indeed, even in the early church, the reason to avoid eating blood was not that it was wrong per se. And I'm going to cover that here in a second under Acts 15. But that Gentile Christians needed to avoid offending Jewish Christians as noted, noted above, however, the principle of valuing life still applies. And so we're going to talk about some of these things here in a minute. So we're talking about consuming blood. If, as if someone were to come to you with a, with a cup and said, here, drink up, it's blood. And then you drink, and then a little dribbles down your... Okay, it's just weird. And, and quite frankly, it's demonic. Okay, okay. By refraining from eating flesh with blood in it, man is honoring life. To eat blood is to despise life. Now this is, I'm talking here, Leviticus chapter 17. This idea emerges most clearly in Genesis chapter 9. This is under the Noahic covenant where the sanctity of human life is associated with not eating blood. Thus, one purpose of this law is the inculcation of respect for life. It goes back to the life. And that's what we have given there in the Noah covenant. In Genesis 9, here's what it says. Every moving thing, God says, that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all thing, even as the green herbs, salad. <laughs> but you shall, but thankfully, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. It doesn't say you can't have a good steak or chicken. Bone-in, traditional. (laughs) Because surely, it says this, Surely for your life blood, I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man. From the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Now this is after Cain killed Abel. And his blood cried out to him from the earth. So what we have there early, early on in Genesis, what we have reestablished in the Noahic covenant of Genesis 9 here, and what we have in Leviticus going forward even all the way to Acts 15, and I would say currently to, to date, is this issue about the sanctity of blood. The blood of the innocents. Not only those who are aborted in Mass every day, but those who are just killed by planning, premeditation, and on and on, God will require the life of a man. It says here, first dealing with the prohibi- prohibition against eating uh, uh, blood in Leviticus chapter seven, and verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. You shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, whether of bird or beast. And here's what it says. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be put to death, cut off from among his people. It's very serious language. Deuteronomy 12. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates. So don't give me this business that we are supposed to be vegetarians. Because God just said. Okay. You may slaughter and eat meat within your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, with which He has given you. The unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out like water. In verse 23 of our text, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. I know I bring this up because in Oklahoma it was a thing. I don't know if it is here. Some of you big hunters may or may not. But you'll see often this on TV too. Um, I've heard it my whole life. You know, some, some kid goes out and makes their first kill of a deer and they're somehow supposed to eat the heart raw or something. You know, first, yuck. Yuck. But second, you know, bloodborne diseases and all. (laughs) Third, there's a serious spiritual thing there. Not only does that reflect uh, mysticism and native religions, okay, which have their roots in the occult, okay, it squarely goes against the teaching of Scripture in respecting the blood. Squarely. So. I'm fixing to get into Acts 15, and I'm going to allude to this a little more, but you see under the Old Covenant how serious you're supposed to respect the blood. Murder, thou shalt not murder. When you murder somebody, a lot of times, at least and probably always internally, unless maybe there is suffocation, there's going to be blood spilled. Right? God looks upon that very seriously. Acts 15 then. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. This is the Jerusalem council. To the churches under the new covenant of grace. They write this. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. That you abstain from things offered to idols. So, if you're a Christian. They're saying, do not... Eat things that are offered to idols from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. These are the commandments. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Now, here's the issue, though. Paul elsewhere said, If eating meat causes your brother to stumble, refrain from eating the meat while in their presence. And, of course, Paul talks about that all things that uh, are prayed over and blessed by God, we can consume. Of course, we have Peter's issue of when God demonstrates the sheep being brought down and all the creepy things, bugs are on there. And everything to a Jew that he couldn't eat, the Lord told him to rise to kill and to eat. I'm sure there was a rabbit on there too. And if you're a Jew, you don't eat rabbit. But notice here, they're saying to abstain from things offered to idols. Now, this is where this gets really muddy, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because I don't have it. There were those in those times, and we talked about when I did the church history class and I preached from the pulpit here, one of the rites that the pagans would go through there in Rome and in those areas where they would offer a bull and the, 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 the worshiper would be down below this bull and its blood would just be poured out all over it. And it was very pagan, very gross, because the idea was the blood was to cover this whole person and then somehow they were supposed to get immortality from it. The uh, Something bullum is what it was called. Well, that meat from that bull was then like, hey, what do we do with it now? Well, we, we slaughter it, we, we butcher it, and we go take it down to the meat market and we offer it, you know, at so much a pound. And so the Christians would go to the grocery store, which would be the meat market, and there would be this meat hanging there, which they know was offered in the temple there for this reason. Well, Paul made allowances. For some, it's going to be very offensive, for others, maybe not. But he's saying here, and they're saying here, that especially to the Jew, because we have to understand who were the first Christians. They were Jews. We have to remember they were Jews, and coming out of the old covenant where they had deep respect for the blood, they had to be very careful about these things. And when you strangle an animal, Clint, you would—I mean, he, he's a resident expert here on this kind of. Sorry, he's a butcher. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of like having an undertaker in your church. How's business? <laughs> Let's pray for brother to have more business. Who's volunteering? Uh, but it's kind of strange if you're an undertaker. But when you strangle an animal, the blood, it, 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 it coagulates in the body. It's not drained out, which, of course, spoils the meat and does all other kinds of things. And, of course, sexual immorality is obvious. Um, in which case, I don't mean to digress and become uh, gross for no reason, but There's blood. Um, all of these things were serious issues for the church. Now you ask yourself, well, can I eat a rare steak? Because I know some of you are bound to be asking that question. Well, if you want to. Uh, but I would say this. You're going to have to work that out with the Lord. <laughs> okay. Um, no, there's a vast difference between eating a rare steak and one that's just... Maybe akin to you going up and putting your canines in its neck and ripping it out. I you know. You're not enjoining in any pagan practices here with your rare steak. Okay, I think you need some help, but you know <laughs> I kinda have a lot of salt and pepper. Tartar is just a French word for saying uncooked. But, you know, nonetheless to say at this time and in this context, we had a Jewish church nucleus. That could be very offended by these things, of which Paul dealt with a lot in, in, in bridging those gaps. So, I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to move on. When you go to Ireland, when we start going, uh, pray we're still working on that. So, be in much prayer about all that, okay? You're going to have blood pudding, and it doesn't look anything like pudding. It looks like a sausage, piece of cooked sausage, like a round patty. But it's blood mixed with grain, and it's black. And if you think about it, it's disgusting. They have another one that's white, and it's made out of fat. I I like that one. So the the discussion with a bunch of preachers around the table was, should we eat this blood pudding? Which Why do they call it pudding? It looks like a sausage patty. And it's really black because it's blood. And I thought, yes, Acts 15. Okay, (laughs) okay. I did nibble it. It's gross. I didn't eat it. Because I got to tell you, for me, knowing that this, its name is blood pudding, that's neither pudding, but it is blood with grain in it. I didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. Now, I'm not going to eat it. If you want to eat it, well, you know, you can have your own sheet episode, but I'm not. Okay. So, but that's vastly different again, still, I think, than taking and slaughtering an animal and drinking its blood. And doing anything that's remotely close to reflecting some kind of pagan, demonic right. We should abstain from all such things like that. Okay. First, in verse 7 then. After we talk about whoever kills an ox or a lamb outside the camp and, and they don't bring it in, they should die. He says, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. Now, we all remember what Israel did right off the bat when they came out of Egypt. They played the harlot. Eating, drinking, and having a giant sexually charged party. They did that. And you know what? They kept doing those things. Up until Babylon, after that, they were cured from that a bit, except they made a god of something else. They shall not offer their sacrifices to demons. Now, what this has to do with is means the word for demon was having the form of a goat or a satyr with whom they played the harlot. They actually believed in, in, in I and mean, remember, we talked about it before. The, the 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 desert had demon goat demons in it. And so verse 7 indicates that the Israelites were offering sacrifices to goat idols. For the Israelites worshipping a being in the form of a goat was no stranger. Now listen to this. This is where it's going to get kind of owie. So for the Israelites worshipping a being in the form of a goat was no stranger to them than worshipping a god in the form of a calf. And while many moderns are shocked that the Israelites were still worshipping other gods, polytheism was to ancient Israel what materialism is to many today. Materialism. You know, stuff that you have so much of that you can't walk through your shop To use a drill press because you're stumbling over it like yesterday. (laughs) I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But it was so much a part of their cultural air they breathed. That they were very slow to turn from it. Even after deciding to follow the Lord. So I'm going to ask a question. If we were to stop and look at our Christianity. And the Christianity of our church. Could we see the power of God reflected. In what we preach. Upon scrutiny. Right. This is what they were doing. And it wasn't that strange. To them. Now. Reasons for the prohibitions. In verse 11. The Bible tells us. What they were supposed to do with the blood by bringing it to God, essentially. You're supposed to bring the blood to God through the order of the priests. And he says in verse 11, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And I love this verse because God says, Here's the reason that I'm giving you this blood. You're supposed to bring it. This is, and he goes again, if you missed it, this is the reason. Your soul needs atoning for. Does our culture still think in terms of being guilty or not guilty before God? No. No. Our culture thinks in terms of whatever makes me feel good and happy and gives me peace. If you're a parent here and have you ever looked at your children and said, Just follow your heart. I want you to go run headlong into the building first thing when you leave today. Okay? So you'll remember never to say that again. Because out of the abundance of the heart proceed forth all kinds of wickedness. It is a desperately wicked machine, and only God can understand it. We need atonement for our souls because we are guilty. People worship anything and everything other than God. And somehow they think God is going to wink at their sin. Sexual immorality is the God of this age. Along with climate. Along with what we think we think we know. God won't wink at that. And there will be a judgment come upon it. And I believe right now it is already fallen. But in short, the animal's lifeblood was accepted as the ransom payment in place of the offenders or of the offerers. It served as a mitigated penalty on the offerer's behalf, graciously accepted by the Lord. The offended party. Can we stop there a second? I want to make sure that I don't get too rough here because I'm a. I also am a sinner. It should make us pause with fear that we offend God when we sin. The Bible said God is angry at the wicked every day. If you name Christ, which we're about to get to a verse in closing that should make you squirm and me squirm if we do this, and you are involved in sexual immorality be it electronically, or physically, or both, or if you have other machinations of any other kind of worship, be it political or otherwise, God have mercy on you by letting you see it, because you are offending Him. This blood rescues the offerer from the due punishment Restoring peace to the relationship between the sinner and the Lord. Jesus died to save sinners. I am a sinner. 38 years ago, he met me on a creek bank in Oklahoma. Invaded my life through a militaristic instant campaign of defeat. Defeat called me His own and cleansed me and gave me a desire to serve Him and love Him. And through my growing and sinning and repenting, He has brought me now to the place where I understand that not only did He die for my sins, not only did His blood cleanse me of my sins, then they cleanse me now too. Every day, His blood never stops atoning for me so when i sin as one he's atoned for intentionally willingly blatantly i thank god for his gift of conviction that makes me sick and scared in my soul that i have offended my god and my king i'm glad for the grace that shows that I'm alive. In either case, following this command, this would help to stop idolatry and syncretism and would unify the Israelites in their worship of the Lord. God was making them a separate and distinct people. You and I are called to be a separate and a distinct people. We are. I myself, God says, have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your lives. This was his translation as the the commentator writes. He says this is how it would, it's atonement for your lives. Sacrifice was indeed something the Israelites gave to the Lord. But first and foremost, it was something he gave to them in his grace as a means of atoning for sin and achieving the forgiveness they so desperately desired. It is sheer ignorance to think that you don't need forgiveness. When you see people and hear people say, I don't need saving, you know you're talking to a dead man, a dead woman who, apart from the grace of God, are going straight to hell, not to just be in it, but to become it, not to just hate God, but to become perfect hatred of God. For all eternity. More and more. And when they've been there a million years. It will have only just begun. And there's no end to their torment. When you talk to a person like that. After having been repulsed by such a notion. Remember the grip of their, that they're in. And pray for their soul. Because only the grace of God. Can bring a dead man back from that. And he's done it a lot. He does it every day. According to uh, Leviticus then. The blood is the life. And therefore must not be drunk. Those who ignore this rule we cut off. According to our Lord it is his blood that gives eternal life. And those who wish to enjoy it must drink his blood. Because it says in John. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. That does not teach transubstantiation. It's a symbol of what Jesus is saying, if you're going to be of me, I've got to be in you, right? Not externally, but internally. And religion that looks good on the outside is just like a boneless chicken wing. It's all batter and sauce, but nothing really to nourish. Each time of the Lord's Supper is ministered, the worshiper is reminded through Christ's words, this is my blood. This is my blood. Do you ever catch that? Now you'll never look at it the same, I hope. You should think, this is my blood. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Leviticus 17! That's why we have that. That it is only through the Savior's death upon the cross... That he enjoys eternal life, that I can enjoy eternal life is only because he lives and he shed his blood for me. That's the blood of Jesus. Now to finish, we're going to close with a heavy. Hebrews chapter 10. We see how seriously God takes the blood. We understand what is meant now, I hope, by the sanctity. Of the blood. Now we're going to read. In Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 26 through 39. Oh boy. This is tough. For if we sin willfully. After we have received the knowledge of the truth. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment. And fiery indignation. Which will devour the adversaries. There's a lot can be said here, but I want to say it like this. There are those who claim Christ. They go to church. They claim to love worship music. They may even read the Bible sometimes, but are far from God. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but of certain fearful expectation of judgment because they need to come to the cross in the first place. They need to drink the blood. There's also those who are Christians who allow the world to press in on them and, 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 and influence them. And they engage in all kinds of sexual and sinful conduct. All kinds of malicious, irreverent behavior. Claim, as a bloodbought daughter or son of God and, and, and somehow they begin to think that, well, maybe it's okay. And I just want you to know, God's not happy with that. And if you're really, really his, he's going to call you out of that, even if he has to break your legs. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Verse 28. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Oh, Christian, if you really know Jesus, I'm sorry you've been in a bad mood for a couple years. I'm sorry you're under financial straits. I'm sorry maybe that you've been through some kind of problem that is just so bad, but never think that you have the right to pick your life up again and go sin, and somehow God's going to say, well, that's okay, you're just going through a difficulty. No. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're trampling the Son of God underfoot. Do not live in such a way that you are saying that the blood of the covenant is a common thing. And there's grace for you, believe me. And I've done those things. I've I've done those things. And He brings us back. Because we're alive. And living things grow. He doesn't just leave us there when we're His. But there are those who are apostates who had a profession. They had a confession, but never a heart change. And, of course, the writer of Hebrews here is also talking about all of those religious Jews who saw the day of their visitation, killed their Messiah, and claimed allegiance that we have no king but Caesar. Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days, he says, in which you were illuminated. You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated For you had compassion on me in my chains. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, verse 35. Do not cast away your confidence. Which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God. You may receive the promise. For yet a little while. And he who is coming will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back. Or gives up, my soul has no pleasure in him. I love verse 39. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. The blood of Christ is not a common thing to those who have been born anew by it. So, back to my story in the shop yesterday with too much clutter. Here's where this gets practical. And this is just in Mickey's life because I have all things strange in my life. We're all too cluttered. We all have drawers, when you open it, stuff comes out. We all have shops that are full of things we don't use, closets that are full of things we can't find, and we buy duplicates. I'm concerned in my own life at the frustration level that happens when I can't move freely. In my space. So there I was. Mark. This is, you'll understand this really well. He's a mechanic of 40 years. My son is now rebuilding his 82 Ford. Because I guess we're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> he has an exhaust manifold. They're cast iron. They're only about yay big. Kind of heavy and awkward. Stud broke off in it flush they cost money to replace trying to help my son i have a monstrous drill press that i kept from the farm and i don't know if you know this or not but you can put a masonry bit in a drill press and drill through hardened steel you don't have to buy a big expensive hardened bit and and just getting it on there was so hard and I was stumbling and trying to stand because I have stuff in the way and I can't scoot it. And I just remember thinking, you got to help your son, but don't lose your witness. <laughs> okay? And you're, it's, it's just, what, 150 degrees in there? Okay? And it's, you're just hot, and he can't even get next to me because of the clutter, right? And I'm trying to put this awkward, weird exhaust manifold up on a block of wood and it's coming in it at an angle and it's, you know, and just the pieces of hot steel are falling down my glove. <laughs> and I'm trying to help. And I just remember at one point just getting so frustrated, I just went, <laughs> you know, because it's just, you ever been to that, like to that point? When in, okay. But here's the thing. It convicts me. It convicts me because I want to show my son love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and this last one, the self control one. Even in the midst of clutter. And burning shards of sharpened steel. And heat. And an awkwardly shaped manifold. That clearly was alive. (laughs) And was fighting me. And I feel like at the end of the day when I lay down that night. God I didn't show holiness in trial. Because he could see I was frustrated. And I did get frustrated. I did. I will probably still get frustrated. But I hate it. You know why? Because the blood that saved my soul deserves more. Because it cost him that much. So if you know Christ, if you really, really know Him, I'm not going to condemn you for what sins you're in. I've got my own. But I'm going to say this. Please stop offending your King. Repent and mean it. And then ask for the strength to walk away and keep walking. Get to the point where it just want your life to show Jesus to the world that says he doesn't exist. So that when they look at you, they'll say, except for maybe you. Yeah. I'll hear you. Because I see Jesus in you. And let it be that you start with your kids. If you don't know Christ, here's the invitation. Repent and believe the gospel. That Christ died on the cross for your sins and shed his perfect blood. That he was put in a borrowed tomb. Tasted death for you and rose three days later. Because this took his life up again because he was fully God the same time he was fully man. He knows what you're going through. In every way that you've been tempted, he's been tempted, yet he never sinned. Now he stands as your mediator. But one day, he will be your judge. Do you know him? Repent and believe in Christian. Cleanse yourself. Come back to the altar and bring the blood that you have shed and put it where it needs to be. J.T. Place, the altar is open.